session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics for the program and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my soundcloud page and free podcast on itunes again the studio number 3104410555 a reminder of the book for this week it is the brain the story of you by david eagleman the brain the story of you and uh more than halfway through now and it's been an interesting read overviewing a lot of the brain, how it develops from childhood into adulthood, and then also some things like how the brain is involved in decision-making, um, emotions, and different types of things. So it's a really, it's been a very interesting read, so I hope you'll join me in reading that, and I'll discuss it on uh, this coming Monday's show. I wanted to start off the show today um, with some very heartbreaking news that I read this morning. To me, it was very heartbreaking, but it was that Trump, President Trump, has announced a ban, or basically he said that they won't accept or allow any transgender people in the United States military in any capacity. And he uh, announced it in a series of tweets this morning. Um, President Obama had, during his administration, they had done some things to make protect transgender individuals and there are already some who are serving in the military and there were some delays in figuring it out but then now he made this announcement this morning and I was really really sad about it um, because it is plain and simple discrimination and it's denying a certain group of people a right and that's always a problem that's a violation of, of human rights or a violation of the rights of some individuals and I was I was very heartbroken, and you know I was already going to talk about the transgender community today because of a a photo I saw that has gone viral by Amber Briggle, and it's a photo of her with her son Max, who is a transgender um, young individual, and they were in Austin at the Texas State House because they were trying to protest or to talk to legislative individuals to. Uh, talk to them about not passing a bathroom bill, similar to one that was in North Carolina, not allowing transgender individuals to use the public restrooms. And uh, you see her son crying in tears because all day they're trying to get people's attention and to talk to these people who can make this big decision but really don't seem to be getting anywhere. And you see him crying, and it's really heartbreaking. And she wrote a very interesting uh, article or blog about her experience because she got a lot of backlash from individuals saying that, um, you know, for example, she's trying to politicize her son or push a type of lifestyle on him, even though uh, they said it, she says it took years for their son to convince them that he was, in fact, transgender, her and her husband. 
uh, didn't force it on him in any way. It was about him. Um, and you just see him in tears and she explains what they went through that day and how he just couldn't take it anymore. And it's a very a good read. And, you know, she shares even some statistics that I'll, I'll probably bring up today. So I was already reading this and planning to talk about it today. And then this morning I woke up and saw the news that Trump has uh, disallowed any any members of the transgender community from being part of the military in any capacity and very proud of it. And I, I was just so sad um, because of the effects we know these types of things have. Uh, I've heard some people already say some things to minimize it or, you know, not, of course, some people agree with it, but even people that maybe don't totally agree with it might not think it's a big deal, but it is. I shared, uh, maybe it was a few months ago now, research that showed that in states where same-sex marriage was legalized, they observed over a period of years a reduction in the number of suicides by members of the LGBT community in those states. And it wasn't a coincidence. Of course, we can't make causation because it was correlational, but they did a lot of uh, statistics to make it, um, to come to that conclusion or at least come to that connection or relationship in their mind based on uh, comparing different states and comparing different years and looking at the effects that it had. Because when there is a law that says some group of people is somehow less than, is somehow not equal to everyone else, does not have the same rights, is somehow less than human, that affects how the individuals are going to feel about themselves. And we've even seen this as um, gay rights have advanced and we've become more accepting. We still have a lot of work to do. We're seeing that they are feeling less of a stigma and less pressure. Unfortunately, the transgender community is in some ways like the new group that's getting severely discriminated against, and they still are. And um, what this mother shares in her post is that 41% of transgender youth report that they have attempted and she says not contemplated, but actually attempted death by suicide at least once. So we're seeing nearly half of transgender youth have attempted suicide. And uh, it's not because of that it's a mental illness, as she writes, or because people are forcing them to be this way, but actually because of, as uh, she puts, the systematic discrimination that leads people to believe it's okay to harass, bully, and attack transgender people, that they are dispensable. End quote. Um, and I absolutely agree with what she is saying there, that it's a group that still is okay to be uh, mean to or to attack. And even legally, when we pass laws that are saying, for example, they can't use the public restroom, um, in some ways we're saying you shouldn't be in the public. You shouldn't be allowed to be outside or be out. You should be inside. And, and not in the public. So it's telling you you shouldn't exist in some indirect way. And that's, I think, what a lot of people even think or what they will say, uh, maybe explicitly or implicitly in how they act. And that's heartbreaking. So when we talk about laws like this, it's not just about the law and, oh, what does it mean, but also the greater effect it has. Anytime we discriminate against a group, we are going to have an effect on how that group is going to be stigmatized, both in how people treat them and even how they're going to feel about themselves. And that's why when I saw that headline, it, it almost brought me to tears because I thought of that effect, um, what it's going to have. Now, I've heard from some people already or people commenting on this issue of this military ban. Some people say, well, 
who cares? Maybe going to the military isn't even a great thing. It protects them from having to go there. You don't have to do that. Um, and that to me is a very weak, weak argument. Uh, to begin with, for some people, it's very important to serve in the military and they want to um, fulfill that duty that they consider for themselves. So we can't make that decision for other people. But even let's say it was something bad. When we discriminate against any group, the effect that that has is the issue. And that's what I'm always going to want to fight against. If they said, for example, um, you know, let's say Jamaicans are not allowed to drink soda, there's going to be a new law. And someone could say, oh, soda's bad for you. So maybe it's not even that bad of a thing that we're outlawing it for them. It's not about that part of the law. The part is that we're discriminating against a group. We're somehow um, alienating them and making them an outcast or not equal to everyone else. That's the problem. So I don't even look at what's the end point of, okay, what are they not allowed to do? But when we say any group is not allowed to do something, that has these big effects that we're somehow saying they're different than or less than. Or if they said, for example, Persians are not allowed to smoke cigarettes. Now, you might say, oh, that's great. You know, cigarette smoking is not good anyway. This might encourage us. But what that does is also opens up this idea that somehow Persians don't have the rights that everyone else has. And I don't smoke cigarettes and I don't plan to or want to, but I would wholeheartedly fight against a law that was being created like that or about any group if they said they can't smoke cigarettes or do whatever it is that we're talking about. So that's not the issue at hand. So if people give an argument of, well, it doesn't matter to be in the military or it's not that big of a deal, or even with marriage, people would somebody say, oh, it's not, they'd kind of almost joke, oh, who, who wants to get married anyway? It's not that great. The issue isn't about the specific end point, although that, that is important too. But the even bigger issue is that when we discriminate against a group, when we isolate them and we say they're somehow less than, that is a big issue and a big problem and it has a big ripple effect on how it affects how we treat those individuals and how those individuals are going to feel about themselves and that's why i was so heartbroken by this news um, and to look at just the transgender issue itself people are born sometimes in a body that doesn't feel like the right one to them and it's not something they just choose but it's something that they deeply feel within themselves and we have to respect that and to begin with it, it's not even up to us i mean if someone says instead of calling me jim call me jenny what difference does it make to you if that's how they identify themselves i know many iranians when they came to the united states they also adopted an american name so instead of being manucher they became mike so it, you think it's okay if someone came up and says, hey buddy, I'm going to call you Manu Chair. We're not going to call you Mike. You can't take that identity. Does it make any sense? Well, it's the same thing. Someone says they want to be whatever they think they are and feel they are. That's up to them. It's not up to me or you, and I don't even know how it affects people. That's something that I haven't really understood when people get upset that someone wants to identify in a certain way. Not only that, but this idea that we have of gender as just two, there's just women and men, is a limited type of way of looking at things. We'd like to make things dichotomous and make them very clear, black and white, male, female, up, down, left, right. But most things aren't that way, and gender really isn't that way either. There really is a lot more going on than just male, female, or man, woman. Just like even with sexuality, we like to think of just gay, straight. 
some people don't want to even think about gay, but let's just say that most people will say gay straight. It's a lot more complex than that. There's much more of a spectrum going on than just gay straight. We like to think of it that way because it's a lot easier for us and more comfortable to just think of there's just two and that's it. And we put people in these boxes, but that's not the case. And also sexual identity or gender identity and your uh, sexuality are two different things. So just because uh, someone is transgender doesn't mean they're homosexual or they have to be that. It just means that's how they identify. And then who you're attracted to is something separate. So we don't need to combine those things. But I do hope that everyone listening or just everyone recognizes that this is a human rights issue that we're looking at and one of the human rights issues of our time. And I've mentioned this before, how we tend to every few years or generations, whatever it might be, a new group kind of comes to be the group that we wonder, are, do they deserve human rights and equal rights or not? Okay, many, many years ago, we can say, and even still in some ways, but the African-American community in the United States, are they equal? And there was a huge fight and resistance about that, of seeing them as equal and giving them equal rights in every way. And of course, there's still ways there's systematic discrimination in our country, but for now, I'll leave that aside and at least look at the legal side and say, okay, it took us some time to to say, okay, yes, I, yeah, I guess we're going to say they're equal. Women, are women equal? No, they're, of course, inferior to men. And then over time, okay, uh, yeah, let's give them equal rights too. I guess that makes sense. Okay, the gay and lesbian community, are they? No, they're somehow not as good. And then over time, okay, let's give them equal rights. And we're still not there. And then now we have the transgender community. Human rights are for all humans and all people are humans and they deserve human rights. You don't have to think about it or try to figure out, does someone deserve rights or not? They're human beings. They deserve human rights. We shouldn't discriminate against them. And I haven't really heard good arguments against discriminating against any group or seeing them as less than, but somehow every time we come to a new um, discussion about a, a specific group, there are these debates of whether or not we should see them as equal. And again, you don't need to really think much. Human rights are for all humans. They all deserve those rights, and they deserve all the rights. It's not about some and don't deserve others. Uh, for example, being in the military in this case or getting married or something like that, to me, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand those arguments, and especially when it's someone being who they want to be. It has nothing to do with you or me. I can't make that decision for someone else. So I was really heartbroken to see that news. First, I was heartbroken by this photo um, I'll post that, and you maybe have already seen it, about this, this seeing this little boy crying in the state house in Texas. Um, but then I was heartbroken by the news today that President Trump has says that uh, no transgender individuals will be allowed to serve in the military in any way, uh, any shape or form. Because again, it's about the effect that has on how we view these individuals, a group that's already stigmatized and um, victims of lots of bullying and attacks of various kinds. And this is only going to add fuel to that fire. And I'm very sad and angered by what we saw. And I hope people see it that same way. And if people have their own thoughts, whether they agree with me or disagree, I would be more than happy to talk to them on the air. But you can also call about other issues as well. Our studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolokwi. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, studio number 3104410555. Last week, the music world uh, had some very sad news as the lead singer of the band Linkin Park, Chester Bennington, was found dead in his home. He had committed suicide, took his own life, and people were heartbroken. He was only 41 years old and a very talented musician. I, I did get to see him live one time several years ago now um, but did enjoy a lot of their music and it was just very heartbreaking and people were of course very sad and I think it was last Thursday July 20th when when the news came out and of course there was a lot of people that were um, sharing their condolences condolences talking about how his music affected their life and um, just you know there's a lot of that positively remembering his life which is nice, and of course people being very sad about it because it was sad and a tragedy. But then there was also people who were saying things like um, suicide is selfish or weak or calling him a coward for taking his own life. And this happens almost every time someone takes their life, for, but with suicide, who is in the public eye. Uh, I remember it very clearly when Robin Williams took his life. Many people were saying, how could he... He has kids, it was selfish, it was weak, and uh, all of those types of things. Even going after his daughter and writing things on Twitter to her, which is, I I can't, I don't know what makes someone get to that point to do that. But um, it was just another reminder of how we still have these judgments about mental illness and suicide that unfortunately, rather than helping people who are suffering, or all of us when we're suffering, just make it worse and make it harder on us. So this idea that you're weak if you take your own life is really missing the point. To begin with, we have to always remember that we never know what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. Uh, I actually talked about it on Monday night's show for when the book Mind Wise, um, where he said that we, when we actually try to take someone else's point of view or perspective we're actually bad at it and research has found that we try and unfortunately we think we're good at it but we don't so we all think oh if i was in this situation i would do that Um, for example when we look at issues of the bystander effect like of course i would have done something i wouldn't have just uh, you know let someone who had a heart attack lay there on the floor but we don't recognize that when you look in hindsight, it's very easy to know, okay, that person had a heart attack and was dying and we have to do something. But if you're actually in the situation, there isn't blaring light saying heart attack, victim, heart attack, victim. It's ambiguous. You don't really know what's going on. And a lot of other factors play a part. So we like to think, oh, I would never do that. Or if I was there, I would do this or I would whatever else it might be. Or I would never take my own life no matter how depressed I was because I care too much about X, Y, and Z. It's very easy to say that when you're feeling okay, but we have to recognize that mental illness is a very real thing and a very serious thing. And the thing that gets affected the most with mental illness is the thing that makes that decision about what to do with the brain, um, which is the name of the book for this week. I was looking at it as I said it, but the brain is what's being affected and that needs to make this decision. And when you are dealing with mental illness, well, that judgment-making machine is essentially broken. It's not working well. People are, are in a very dark place. I can't, of course, describe exactly what someone feels, but if, we, if I try to understand it based on people who have been there and what they share, they're in such a dark 
place and they feel so bad about themselves. They can hate themselves, loathe themselves, feel like they are just no good and they never will be good. And when people say, well, you know, what about their family? What about their children? Well, sometimes when you're feeling that bad, you could even feel like you're a detriment to your family. I'm suffering and them seeing me so depressed is hurting them. Or I'm just so bad that I'm more of a burden than something good. When someone is in that place, that's how things look to them. So I hope people will be very careful when they just say someone is weak selfish or a coward because they take their own life and unfortunately i did see lots of people writing things like that overwhelmingly it was positive things about him and his life and his music but there were people who wrote things like that and actually i saw many psychologists and different people writing uh, articles in defense of that to say that we, we can't call someone selfish or weak because they took their own life and even we can extend that to things like depression in general Um, People like to think, oh, if someone's depressed, they're just exaggerating it, or even they'll say they're being weak if you're depressed, and I don't get depressed because I'm so strong. Or, um, you know, they should just snap out of it. Or one of my favorite ones, it's all in your head, and it's like, yes, it is all in their head. There is a, a imbalance in their neurotransmitters in their head, and that is the problem. It's a real think it's like saying if someone breaks their leg and you say oh it's all in your leg like just walk it's like yes there's a break in my bone of my leg that's why i can't walk right now when someone is depressed something is really going on in their head and we can see this with scans of the brain and measuring different things we know that it's a real thing but unfortunately we still don't see mental illness the same way we see medical illness or physical illnesses If someone does break their leg or gets cancer or has some other medical issue come up, they tend to get overwhelming support from people around them. Um, If Chester Bennington died from cancer, there would have been a very different response than he died from suicide. When people have a medical illness, people tend to be very supportive. But when someone has a mental illness, people actually tend to even get away. They think, oh, it's like weird, or they judge the person. And they blame the person. No one blames someone for getting cancer, but people blame someone for getting depression. Um, And we blame them rather than support them. And unfortunately, this leads to lots of things. One, people don't get the support they need, and they could definitely really need in that moment if they are dealing with mental illness. Um, But also the person is likely to judge themselves and is less likely to seek out treatment because... My mental illness reflects my own weakness or something bad about me, so I would rather deny it to myself or it's too hard for me to want to go get some help because I don't want to be weak or sick or crazy or whatever the words we might use to label ourselves or someone else. And so people suffer in silence. And, of course, when we don't treat some kind of issue, whether it's physical or mental, emotional, it just gets worse. So people will just end up suffering more and more and more. And one of my goals of this show is to reduce the stigma of mental illness and to reduce the stigma of seeking out mental health services, that there is help out there. Um, Mental illness is very common. And even, you know, sometimes when we say mental illness, we think it has to just be some severe thing, but just like you can get a cold or a flu or different types of medical issues, all of us have 
some level of mental illness, just like all of us have some level of physical illness. Um, there are, of course, different levels of it. Someone who has got, just had a heart attack or has uh, um, a severe form of cancer is definitely in a different physical health level than someone who just got a cold. So I'm not saying they're the same thing, but it's recognizing that we all have mental health issues. Everyone does. Every, myself, anyone listening, if you don't believe that or don't think it, you just don't know yourself very well. Just like if you haven't got a blood test for 20 years, you might think you're perfectly fine, but you just don't know what's going on in your body. Everyone has issues and we have to accept that. Depression is going to hit you or someone that you know almost definitely based on the statistics and other mental illnesses as well. So we have to recognize this this difference in the way that we judge people. And a lot of um, different cultures treat this differently. And the Iranian culture, unfortunately, we're really bad about this. We heavily judge mental illness and we are very okay with physical illnesses. That's much more okay and we'll get a lot more attention. And as a result, many people hide their emotional feelings, their emotional pain, and it actually comes out in physical pain. It's something we call somatization. Um, we somatize. So the emotional pain, we can't take it away. It comes out in some way and it comes out physical. And it makes sense because this, this gets reinforced. If I have a headache or my stomach ache, I'm going to get a lot of attention. But if I say I'm anxious about something, I might get judged or put down or seen in a negative way. So this reinforces more that it's better to have a physical ailment than an emotional one. And a lot of Iranians actually express their emotions in this way, unbeknownst to themselves. Medical doctors know this, and they know that a lot of times people come in and they say, I have this pain here, I have this, and they run all kinds of tech tests and x-rays and whatever else they can do. And they say, physically, there's nothing wrong with you. We think this is an emotional thing, a psychological issue, and people have a hard time accepting that. But most doctors know that someone that comes to them very often actually is dealing with a psychological issue rather than a medical one. But it's much easier and we feel much more comfortable and better about ourselves going to our medical doctor or general practitioner than going to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So that's what ends up happening. And a lot of times they have to make the referrals or even they might prescribe medications um, for the individual because it's actually a psychological issue, not a physical one. But coming back to this issue of suicide, um, the stigma around suicide is very strong. People, I know families that hide that a, someone in their family died from suicide from everyone that won't even acknowledge it within the family. Everyone kind of knows, but they don't want to talk about it or they hide it from other people. They make up, you know, crazy stories or excuses of how to explain the death without mentioning the suicide because we see it in this negative way. Is suicide very sad and a tragic thing? Absolutely. It breaks my heart and it is very sad. But that doesn't mean that we have to deny it or hide it. The person was suffering and they, they were not feeling good, obviously, if they got to that point. But we don't need to be ashamed of them. We can be sad for it, of course. But we don't need to be ashamed of what they did and what happened. And we also have to make it more okay for people to talk about it no, we can't necessarily avoid every time that suicide might happen, but if people feel more comfortable talking about it and if people reach out to one another more, we can definitely reduce that number for sure. And if we make people feel more okay to, one, seek out mental health services, but also, two, to be okay talking about their suicidal thoughts, that'll be a big step. Uh, just think about it. If someone 
came to you, a friend, and said, you know, I've been so down, I'm thinking about hurting myself, how would you react? You know, for most people, that would be a really scary conversation, and they might say, I wouldn't know what I would do. But I would hope you're prepared for that. And um, you don't need to solve it all by yourself. Actually, you should know you're not supposed to. You're going to need help, and you can even tell them, we're going to need some help. I'm not going to be able to do this alone, but I'm here for you. But people generally don't think they can come to one another and have that conversation, which is really sad because, again, people suffer in silence and they feel they can't turn to anyone and they might end up taking their life. So this tragic news of Lincoln Park singer Chester Bennington from last week um, was a reminder of, uh, of course, it was a very tragic and sad event, but also a reminder that we have to take mental health more seriously. We have to reduce the stigma attached to mental illness, mental health treatment, and uh, suicide, but also that we can never judge someone else or know really what it's like in their shoes, what they're going through. We can't call someone weak or selfish for something they did when we have no idea what they were going through and what it was really like and try to judge their decision or what they did. Was it tragic and sad? Absolutely. But can we really know what it was like and know that we would have done something different? Absolutely not. And so, um, you know, of course, our condolences go out to his whole family and anyone affected by it and anyone dealing with loss from suicide knows how painful that can be. And our condolences go out to everyone and reminder that there is help out there if you are suffering. And I hope that people will be there for one another and seek out help for themselves. Um, so let's take another commercial break. Studio number is 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi. back uh, studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 you know people always wonder what are the qualities or the most important quality to find in a partner or to look for in a partner and um, people often wonder about that and I get questions about that and a friend of mine actually recently he sent me a list of of things and he's like are these the most important what do you think and you know it was interesting to see his perspective and he had done some studying to get to, to the ideas he had but it did make me think about that and i think of course it's hard to boil things down to one thing but there's some maybe one major one that i did want to share but to begin with we know that what's most important in the the uh, longevity of a marriage the happiness, the health, the strength of the marriage is the quality of the friendship between the two partners, something that we don't always maybe think about. Although people will say that marry your best friend or make sure the person is your best friend. But sometimes we think, well, because it's a romantic relationship, there's some other pull or draw. And of course, you need to be physically and sexually attracted to one another. That has to be there uh, to have the relationship. But what's really going to allow your relationship 
to stay strong and to withstand the ups and downs that you're inevitably going to experience both in just your obstacles you face with the world, but also the obstacles you face within your relationship is the quality of your friendship, how strong that is. And John Gottman, he's done extensive research on couples and he has made this conclusion himself. That's what he uh, determined based on all his years of studying couples, fighting and interacting and looking at what works, what didn't work, what led to divorce, what led to marriages standing the test of time. And he says that that's the most important thing. But if I had to look at one personality characteristic, and uh, I don't even know how to describe it with a good word, but I'll use more words to describe it. But if one thing that I'd say you want to make sure your partner has, and also make sure they don't have essentially the opposite of that, is that the ability to think about and care about another person as much as themselves and even have the ability to put someone else before themselves. Um, so the ability to think about someone else, have them in mind at all times, and the ability to even put them ahead of themselves if need be. So that means essentially the opposite of that would be someone who is selfish or narcissistic and self-centered would be the opposite of that. But of course, there's a continuum or a spectrum. It's not just black and white. So I don't want people to think, well, as long as your potential husband or wife is not um, narcissistic or doesn't have narcissistic personality disorder or some other character issue that's really significant, that you don't have to worry about it. No, there's definitely a range in how people are in this way. So what you want is someone who can put you first if need be. Now, I'll make a little caveat to this before I get into the good side of this. Also, this can go to an extreme as well, because there are some people that can't think of themselves and can only think of the other person. And this is not healthy either and doesn't lead to a healthy relationship. So if your partner is depriving themselves, hurting themselves, not taking care of themselves, can't even think of what they want, only thinks of what you want, that's a big problem. And sometimes initially this can seem great, especially if someone like that is coupled with someone who's more selfish and self-centered and narcissistic. The beginning of the relationship can get really nice because the selfish narcissistic person wants things to go his or her way. And the other individual always wants to think about the other person. And so there seems to be some kind of a balance or equilibrium there. It's always about really that one partner. And it could seem to work and maybe even seem great. And this is why sometimes people are initially drawn to each other and it seems like a lovely relationship, but then things really fall apart because over time, that individual who is making it all about the other person does feel a sense of resentment, which is what they're going to feel in all their relationships. If it's too much about other people and not at all about you, you're going to resent the people around you over time. And uh, Iranians have this in our culture that we sometimes think, for example, being a good mother means that you suffer and sacrifice everything for your kids and your pain and the suffering you go through for your children is somehow like a badge of honor or an indicator of how good of a mother you are when this is not the case. You don't need to suffer for your children in this way or be a martyr for them. When you do that, they're just feeling your pain too. And that's not a good thing. You have to make sure you take care of yourself and make sure you're okay. But of course, then give all that you can to your children. So we have to make sure you don't find someone on that that extreme either. It might feel good at the beginning. Well, they give me everything I want. They do everything I want. They take care of me. They think of me in such a way that it feels nice. 
but it's not a good quality for a long-lasting relationship. So the person we're talking about or the quality we're talking about is someone who can take care of themselves and they're okay, but then can also very much keep you in mind at all times and care about you and your feelings as much as they essentially care for themselves. So what that means is that if you're sad, or if you should even think about this for yourself, if your partner is sad, that has to matter to you. Now, it doesn't mean you agree with what they're sad about, or you even maybe care so much about the thing itself that they're sad about, but you care that they are sad. For example, let's say your husband's sports team loses and you think sports are stupid and who cares, and maybe even you're right, they he cares too much. But if he's sad, you have to at least care about the feeling that he has. Um, or especially if your partner's upset with something you did. Very often, this is where partners have a hard time because then they take it personally. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, if your husband or your wife, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend is upset with you about something you did, it doesn't mean that you're wrong necessarily. So just engaging that conversation. I'm not saying, say, I was wrong, you were right, I hurt you, I'm the bad guy, you're the good person. But you want to care about what they feel and how they're feeling and then engage in a conversation with them to understand what's going on. Because, of course, we come to a relationship with all of our own baggage, our own issues, uh, both related to relationships and related to how we see ourselves, and the other person has the same thing, and now we come together with all that baggage and try to create a relationship together, of course, there's going to be a lot going on. So sometimes your partner might be mad at you because of something you did that really was hurtful. And sometimes they're going to be mad because it's actually their issue or their sensitive spot. So maybe you really didn't do much, but they took it very harshly because of their own issues. And of course, really what's happening most of the time, it's some combination of the two. It's not just black or white, but there is some way we can say, okay, maybe your reaction, if it's so extreme, and you could even look at yourself, it's probably because of something I have about this issue, something in my own history, an insecurity, a sensitivity related to what's going on, because my reaction seems pretty extreme. But nonetheless, when your partner comes to you, even with the reaction that seems extreme, you want to engage in a conversation to show them that what you feel matters to me always, no matter what. Again, I might not agree with it. I might not think I would react that way. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what your partner feels. If you walk into a room and you're not cold, but your partner is shivering, you should want to get them a jacket, not say, well, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't be cold in this room. I'm not cold in this room, so it doesn't matter. No, they're cold. So you get them a jacket. Similarly, they're sad about something. They're angry about something. What you want to do is make sure you show them that that to you matters. And that's all that matters in that moment, not um, if I wouldn't feel that I shouldn't care, or if I would feel that I do care, when you're feeling something, I'm going to care no matter what. And so when you're looking for someone, you should make sure you find someone that gives you that feeling, that what you think, what you feel, what you care about matters to them, and they can keep it in mind. Uh, even, you know, sometimes a good part of learning about each other is you talk about your past, and of course, fun, good memories, but very importantly, hopefully you share some of your painful memories from childhood and growing up and developing so your partner gets to understand you and understand your pains. And pay attention to how your partner responds to you. Does your partner seem to care? Does he or she actually really seem to care? And again, going to what I was talking about before, 
do they almost seem to care too much if they get too emotional about what you're talking about and overwhelmed that can't that might not feel very good but maybe even if they tear up or show you sadness that'll make you feel like they really care about my pain they care about what I've been through and gone through and they understand my pain. It's very validating. So pay attention to how they respond to all of your pains, present and past, but especially when you share these stories, see how important it is for them to listen to you. Do they care? Do they seem to be even affected by it to some degree? Not that it's going to necessarily ruin their day or they would you know, overwhelm them, but that they, they do care enough to be affected by what you have gone through and show you that they can understand that that was painful to you. So how they respond to your pain is very, very important. And for me, when you're looking for a partner, something that's very important, I would say the most important thing is someone who can care about you equal to themselves, put your feelings even at times before themselves when the moment calls for it, and always keep you in mind. You feel like you are there for them. Someone who forgets about you, who doesn't seem to care much about your feelings, who sees your feelings as a burden or annoying or that you're wrong to feel the way you do, that's not going to make a good partner. And, of course, these things are going to extend to parents too. Uh, I mean, you know, if you want to be a parent, you have to be ready that a lot of your life gets put on hold or a lot of your at least momentary feelings and wants are going to be put on hold. You want to sleep, but the baby is crying. You can't think about, oh, I think my sleep might be more important or I really want to sleep. No, you got to wake up and feed or change the baby or comfort the baby in whatever way he or she needs it. You can't only think about yourself. So to me, actually, to enter a relationship, there's definitely some level of putting someone else ahead of you or at least equal to you and always keeping them in mind, meaning you have to be ready for changes in your life in that way. And you want to make sure you find a partner who can do that and wants to do that and is willing to do that. And then when it comes to being a parent, that gets extended even further because now in a you know partnership, it is an equal relationship, but as a parent, it's a very unequal relationship. You are taking care of something else, someone else, and they're not taking care of you. They don't owe you anything. And you have to be able to put yourself, your needs, your wants, your feelings aside to take care of them. And you have to be ready for that. And that's why I always tell people before you enter a relationship, make sure you want to enter a relationship. You don't have to do it. There's no, uh, we have to get married. And fortunately that's changing where people don't feel like they, they're forced to do so before they really felt like they had to do it and had no choice. Now you have a choice, but you have to think, do I want to be with someone? And of course there's all the good things, but also am I ready to put myself aside sometimes and always be aware of someone else and their feelings, their life, their dreams and everything that goes into them being them if not then don't enter a serious relationship or a marriage and similarly am i ready to even take that a step further and put myself aside at times completely to take care of a little uh, baby a little one and essentially the rest of their life be there for them can i take that challenge on am i willing to accept that you're not a bad person if you don't want to do that but I would say you're almost a bad person if you don't want to do that, but you bring a kid into this world because you think you have to. So think about that very seriously before you think about having a child or decide to have one. Am I ready to do that? Accept that type of challenge or this type of relationship with someone else where it's going to be very one-sided, where I'm giving. And yes, I might feel good or have these moments of fulfillment and feelings of fulfillment and contentment from having the kid, 
But overall, it's a very one-sided relationship. So if you ask me when you're looking for a partner, if you're not sure what to look for, make sure you see someone that cares about you and that can see you and can put you before them if need be and whenever you need them and doesn't make you feel bad for being who you are and what you are and is there for you 100%. Okay, studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, studio number 3104410555. So this weekend from Friday through Sunday, I'm going to be in Mexico at an orphanage called Rancho de los Niños, um, where we will be installing a solar panel or solar panels there to help give electricity to the orphanage there and help run things more smoothly there but also for the, in the weekend we'll get to spend a lot of time with the kids which I'm very much looking forward to and I wanted to thank again everyone who donated I had made a page to raise money and I made a goal for a thousand dollars and pretty quickly I got past that goal and at last time I checked it was somewhere around twelve hundred dollars or so so I wanted to give a big thank you to everyone who reached out and donated and um I will try to get some pictures and videos of those kids this weekend when I'm there from Friday through Sunday. And very likely, I'm sure I'll be talking about on my show Monday and maybe even on Wednesday's show about my experience there. So I'm really looking forward to that. But again, I want to thank everyone who uh, gave their uh, donations to this cause and uh, looking forward to going this weekend. And just another reminder since I'm talking about this issue of what we all can do or to remind ourselves of what we can do to help other people and to keep other people in mind. In the last segment, I talked about choosing a partner and how what I think is one of the most important characteristics is to have someone who can think about someone else and put them first to keep them in mind and to be aware of them. And of course, from our romantic partner, and our partner in life, we definitely want that. But I, what I hope is that we can um, keep in mind that we could have this mindset, of course, not to the same degree about everyone that we encounter, about everyone in the world. Um, I always talk about stories here, people who've done nice things for other people, and I think that's wonderful. There's a police officer who found a child shoplifting, and when he reported, you know, he got there, he said he couldn't take the child in or, you know, file a report, instead went to her home and saw that she was suffering or, you know, living in extreme poverty and tried to help. And I think that's great. But remembering that mindset that everyone who's suffering deserves our help and we should get involved in helping whoever we can. And if we see anyone suffering, they are not an us and a them, they are us. We are all worthy of that help. And so I'm happy to be going there this weekend, but I know so many people listening out there are doing so many wonderful things to help those who are vulnerable or going through something. And I hope if you aren't doing anything to help those that you know could use the help to get out there and, and do whatever you can. I'm 
going as a guest and mostly I'm sure I'm going to have a good time there. And so I'm not saying what I'm doing is something really special or that amazing, but I hope that everyone can get involved in helping and different causes that they can be a part of. But I do want to get to some callers, so let's let's go ahead and do that. Uh, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Hello, uh, uh, okay. You're talking with me, right? Yes, I am. Thanks for calling. Uh, okay, I am calling about my daughter, uh, who is 20 years old, and mm-hmm. uh, it is for uh, um, years, it is almost uh, five years, uh, she got a bad behavior. It, uh, it is, uh, she, she thinks she is uh, she's very fast, and uh, we took her to the doctor, and they gave her freedom uh, and Prozac. And okay. it is more than one year she has stopped uh, taking them. And anyway, they, they, didn't, they didn't help her too. And, uh, Just so I make sure I heard you right, you said she was feeling fat or fat, bad? Fat, okay. fat, fat. Okay. And it, then... It is, it is, it is uh, she had a, uh, uh, what's the name? Very, uh, uh, she stress and uh, something. And uh, she, uh, she, right now she, um, for one year, uh, she didn't, she doesn't take the, uh, the those medicines. Okay. And she tried to solve by herself, but she got to the therapist. But, uh, but uh, therapist maybe just they talk with her. And that, that's they, what we do. do yes. Th- therapy is yes, talking. <laughs> I mean, yes. that that's all we do in therapy is we talk, and yes. it can have help. So yes. I, I hope she keeps going. Now, uh-huh. if she was taking the medication, was that was she feeling depressed? Right now, she doesn't take medication. Okay. And, uh, By the way, I don't know if you're walking anyway, fast. Anyways, Sorry, can I say, you're? I don't know if you're walking fast or there's some sound of air coming in the phone. It's uh, kind of... <laughs> if you can for a little bit because it's making okay. it hard, harder to hear you. Thank you very much. Okay. okay. Um, okay. So and, sh- and I wanted to know, yes. this is my question, I wanted to know how long it takes because sometimes uh, she doesn't want to think about that and she lost a lot of weight and right now uh, she, is, uh, she, is, uh, um, she has a weight less than uh, she has to be, do you know? Mm-hmm. Sorry, my English is not perfect. I, That's I okay. <laughs> You're doing all right. That's fine. Uh, and, uh, so there's a lot. Yeah. Less than, less than, she's very tiny um, now. And anyway, she thinks uh, she has a weight and she has a special. She, she, she thinks she has a stomach and her stomach is very big. And mm-hmm. um, she, like that, she works. And when she works, it's better for her. When, uh, she is at home. It gets worse, and just I want to to know. I I I read uh, something about about her, and uh, and I watch the watch the YouTube uh, about her uh, problem. But I wanted I want to know if they have to take medication, mm-hmm. and uh, the same people they have to take medication, and and how long it takes. Okay. Uh, no- I'm still not sure if I know when you said what behavior was she doing starting five years ago. Uh, what happened, you mean? Yeah, because you said I read, I read, uh, I saw a YouTube video about people like her. But what's the like her? I'm not sure if I still get it. The depression, the issue, concern about weight. Did she was she anorexic or bulimic? Yes, I, I'm, and, and, uh, 
Anorexia? Yeah, anorexia, yes. Okay, so she was uh, not eating, uh, eating very, very little? Uh, if uh, if uh, I don't care about her, she doesn't want to eat anything. Okay. But uh, I prepare the food, I uh, do everything, I, uh, I um, what does that mean? I cut the fruit and put it in front of her and then she eats. Okay. Uh, and, uh, otherwise, she doesn't want to eat, you know? Yeah, so this is really serious. Uh, you know, I want you to, yes. I'm sure you recognize that, but even just to make it more clear, people with anorexia, I, I don't know the percentage right now, but a percentage of them end up dying. It, it's not a minor issue or something we should take lightly. Mm -hmm. It's very, mm -hmm. very serious. So mm -hmm. I would change the focus from being how much longer do we have to deal with this uh, with focusing on this is very, very serious and more than likely for the rest of her life, She's going to have to be aware of her eating and her uh, how she feels about herself and uh -huh, uh -huh. all of this. So I, I would think of it as a lifelong issue. It doesn't have to be, but at least be prepared that way. I say that so you don't have this focus of, okay, it's been a year or five years. Is it going to stop? It could just uh -huh. be her issue. So, um, And what you're talking about, how you said she's essentially underweight or under the weight she... Underweight. Yeah, underweight. but she still uh, sees herself as she, overweight. Yeah, yeah. She feel, this feel is overweight. right. So yeah. this is a classic symptom of eating disorders and specifically anorexia yeah. that we call distorted body image. So you might look at her and she's thin or she's an okay weight, but she sees herself as very overweight. And it's heartbreaking. I know you said you saw some videos. I don't know which ones you saw, but you can see videos of people where they are so severely underweight that they are, you know, they need to maybe even be hospitalized, but they still think they need to lose weight. That's how significant the distorted body image can become someone can be uh -huh. almost at the the being close to death but still thinks they need to lose more weight so we have to t you know we have to take this very seriously um i wouldn't say she has to be on medication but for some people it can help but as far as therapy goes she needs you know i would want her to be in therapy essentially all the time i would never want her to stop going and even in how you said it you know oh she goes to therapy and all they do is talk that's really what therapy is it's talk it's called talk therapy there's talking and the issues she's dealing with are really big and are not issues that just change very quickly you know it's very deep so um i also when you say that i hope you're not putting a pressure on her that she should change by now or we've already done a few years of this why aren't you better because it's not something that changes that quickly. Um, now, what's also important is how, how do you think she sees the pressure you've put on her about how she looks in the past and even now? Uh, right now, right now she, she, she is not on the pressure. I try to make everything calm for her, but uh, I ask her to uh, go to the college, and uh, right now she... It is the second term she goes to the college, and she doesn't want to study that much. And I don't know, I can uh, I can encourage, encourage her to study or no. And um, and I'm... she works right now, mm -hmm. and uh, I she got a permit, but she is scared about the driving. Okay. She is scared about the driving, and I don't know. I force her to the getting the license or not? No, I mean, force usually is a word I wouldn't uh, almost ever agree with, you know, forcing her. But clearly she has a lot of anxiety, too. So she probably has anxiety and depression. Um, is in your own family or your her father's family, is there any 
anxiety, depression, or eating disorders that you know about? Uh, her father, her father is very OCD, uh-huh. very clean, and yeah. very uh, everything to he wanted to organize all the time, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, worry about the small things. Uh, yeah. But uh, we are uh, we are divorced, and uh, she used to work. She used to be with her her dad, but right now she lives with me, and I try to prepare. Everything I try to make a, a environment calm for her. And well, that's good, but I you know, know. What can I do? Yeah, well, and you know, but you know, but saying you know what you mentioned about her father, um, you know, a big part of eating disorders and especially anorexia is about control, and so OCD is also a lot about trying to control. So there's there's a connection there, and unfortunately, they start to control what they eat so much that they restrict it to the point where it's unhealthy. So, like I said, you really have to keep an eye on her, um, and also the divorce, and we don't have to get into all of that, but there's probably a lot there. But she's been through a lot, and she's going through a lot. And so I don't want you to think, okay, this is going to end any day now, or I should be ready for her to be better. This is a very, very serious issue you're dealing with. So, So I want you to take that seriously, and for her father also, if you talk to him about... I know you guys are divorced as far as not being married, but you are both her parents, and mm-hmm. you have to make sure you, you take care of her the best way that you can. What I was saying before, and maybe I didn't make it clear, is was there a pressure on her to be thin before? Did you guys, both, either from you or from her father, to be mm-hmm. skinny or that her weight was a problem? Did you guys put pressure on her in that way? Uh, um, no, no. Okay, so when she was dealing with her weight issues, what was your reaction to it? Uh, for the oh, with the, I try to don't tell her you lost the weight and uh, her father too. Okay, and uh, uh, we don't have any uh, any fighting or you know we don't have any stress between uh, me and her dad and. Uh, everything is uh, good, but I thought because uh, because family uh, got divorced as well. But uh, I I think she it, it it doesn't it doesn't matter for her that much. Well, I'm, I'm sure it matters. It has an effect. I mean, something like uh, eating disorder is very serious. So we're not going to say it's just caused by one thing. So it's not just the divorce, but of course that's probably contributing to it. I'm sure. But, you know, I hope, and I'm not sure, maybe I still made my question clear, but um, that you guys are not putting a pressure on her to gain or lose weight or how she looks. Don't, I wouldn't focus much on that if I were you. So don't make that a big issue. Don't focus on uh, her weight or looks or other people. You know, when you're looking at, if you're watching TV or if you're whatever it might be, don't talk about, oh, that girl is so beautiful or this girl's body is this or whatever it might be. Make sure you're not emphasizing that when you're interacting with her. Does that make yes. sense? Yes. I, all the time I say you are beautiful, you are good, you are fit, but uh, she, um, I don't think she really pay attention. Uh, her behavior is not uh, stable. Sometimes it's very good. Sometimes it's very good and accept it. Yes, yes, you're right, you're right. And later, um, the other time, 
when it happened, maybe something for her or period time, uh, she thinks, oh, I am very fat, I am very, and get very, um, very mad and very angry, and uh, she, uh, her confidence comes very low, very low, and uh, she thinks everybody she uh, compare herself with other people, mm-hmm. other girls, and she, and sometimes. Uh, mm, um, night time, she cries and says, mm. "I wanna, I wanna run from myself." And, and she doesn't let let me to go to, to take her to the doctor or. And she's adult, and here in America, they 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 they, they, they don't let parents talk about the adults, you know. Mm-hmm. Let me they ask say, you: Did when okay. you said she's not taking the medication anymore, what? What made her stop taking the the antidepressant medication? What kind of medication? No, no. Why did she stop taking it? She say it make it make her fat. It give it they give to her fat. Well, they didn't. They didn't. the medication. They didn't help her that much. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't say it helped her or didn't help her. And different medications have different side effects. But what she's dealing with is pretty serious, like I said before. And medication might be helpful. And she can even tell the doctor. And the doctor will likely know, obviously, if she has uh, issues with anorexia, that she's going to be concerned about the weight gain part. But it, I would look into maybe her getting back on some kind of medication. Because it, it's serious what she's dealing with. Uh, definitely is going to be very, very low self-esteem if she has this distorted body image, but also she's going to value herself very much based on what she looks like. And unfortunately, she doesn't feel like she looks good. She feels overweight, and she's going to judge herself negatively. So there's a lot going on, and I want you to recognize, like I said before, this is very, very serious. Um, Don't stop the therapy because you're saying it hasn't helped because it hasn't changed anything. It's going to be a long process. If she wants to, um, you know, if she wants to, let's say, change therapists, you can do that, but um, don't stop her from going to therapy. You have to make sure she continues to go to therapy and she sees someone and don't be discouraged because things haven't completely changed uh, just in a year or so. This is almost a, a, a lifelong type of a journey she might be on. So continue the therapy and consider the medication. Make sure you don't put a pressure on her to feel like she has to change quickly. These things take time and she might not ever completely change the way you're hoping she does. Yeah. But uh, uh, right now it is the uh, big, every big go to the therapy. And- Good. Uh, her uh, her therapist uh, her therapist uh, is leaving and uh, somebody else comes because uh, she goes to the clinic like uh, uh, government like government therapy you know what I mean it's yes not, uh, and so sometimes private. yeah I would say what's very important is one make sure you find a therapist who specializes in eating disorders does her therapist specialize in that. I don't know. I okay. don't know about that. That's very because, important. Because this... She goes by herself. She, uh, she doesn't. Uh, they don't. They don't fight with us. And I don't know about that. No, I. But I think. Yeah. I think they are specialists. I think. They well, I wouldn't want. I don't want you to think. I want you to know. And you're right. Of course, it's her therapist. She's going to be the one. But let her know. I want. Maybe we can look together. Help her find a therapist 
who specializes in eating disorders. And if you have to pay more, pay more. This is very serious because I know you're saying she's going to a clinic at the government and maybe these are interns and every year they're going to change. So she won't be able to have a therapist for a long time. So I really hope you find her a good therapist who specializes in eating disorders because it's a different issue than just anxiety or depression. Eating disorders need someone who has that experience and to consider the medication. And like I said before, don't think, okay, it's been a year. Things have to change by now. This is not something that's just going to change um, quickly. I remember I read somewhere uh, it says um, it says uh, it uh, will be will be okay when they are they she will be twenty six twenty seven years old. Is it, is um, it correct? Not there's no I don't as far as I know it's not just going to change. She's not going to grow out of this. She needs a lot of help and treatment, and she deserves that. So I don't, I don't see it as something that's just going to automatically go away. It's not a phase. This is a mental illness that she has and has to get help. And like I said, she needs a therapist and might even need medication. But I want you to accept it as a lifelong thing, not something that I, is going to go away. And I wouldn't anticipate it's just going to go away at 25, 26. I haven't really heard anything like that. Of course... Maybe one person went through something or some people do, but majority of people deal with this for their whole life. So be ready for that, okay? Okay. And other things I wanted to tell you, uh, but uh, she uh, she's very smart and she uh, researched a lot and she said maybe I have a manic depression. She could and have, there could be more going on. And if she does, like I'm, you know, I, I can't die, you know, I want to get to other callers also, but you know, if she has manic depression, then even more, she needs medication and she needs therapy, of course. So she's dealing with a lot. There's a lot of ups and downs, whether it's manic and depressive or if it's just from eating t- disorder and other things. She's going through a lot of a lot of things. And so you have to take that very seriously and don't assume it's going to go away. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank, thank you for calling. Thank you for helping. Sure. Have sure. You too. Day. Take Bye-bye. care. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi. Back, let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Faritalakui. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for calling. Thank you for having us. Um, I really like the fact that you you suggest new books to us, (laughs) and uh, it helps a lot. Uh, The only issue I have with it is that... uh, when I read a book, especially psychological books, um, with my limited knowledge of psychology and uh, my own TV or camera that is always with me and filtering things, I would read it way different from the way you will read or interpret it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was wondering if it's possible to have, uh, like, a, sessions with you, for example, these conferences your father has, mm-hmm. 
you could have one like um, for a couple of weeks and we go over a book as a group together. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's an idea I've thought about um, because I, I like that idea of getting studying a book together and what I do on the show is really a brief summary to talk about a book in 15, 16 minutes. doesn't really do it full justice, but hopefully gives a summary and then also might encourage people to read the book if they find that it might be something they'd want to know more about. But yeah, that's something I'll definitely consider doing conferences uh, or seminars or kind of like book club meetings in person. Yeah. I've thought about that and, and I'll keep that in mind. Thank you for that suggestion. Yeah. Sure. And, and then um, that's, thank you for having that in mind. Uh, what uh, one of the books that you mentioned had some questions in it, questionnaires that uh, uh, we had to answer and find out, you know, what kind of uh, problem we have or blocks in our mind or something. And that I would like to, for example, um, discuss my answers and issues uh, in a group with others mm-hmm. uh, on top of, because this is going to be a different book club. Uh, we're not talking about the story of the book. We're talking about how we in- we should interpret it, how we should use it. Uh, right, or in even my mind. and I and I agree with you. And I, you, I just you said the word should, although maybe you didn't mean it as a should. But yes, because I to me everyone's going to interpret it differently, as you said. But I like that idea of discussion of people sharing what they got from the book because I might read a book and you read the book we'll have two very different conclusions from it, and we both can learn from what the other person saw in the book. So I think that could be very meaningful. uh, The other person is you, like a good psychiatrist, you know, a good uh, social, whatever. Psychologist, yes, but yes, that's fine. But yeah, I I hope I, I mean, but you know, if I do something like that, I'll consider myself also a participant, because I know when you get to even teach, you learn more than anyone else, so yeah, I would want to learn from the people in the in the group. So I appreciate that suggestion. Did you have a, a question or something you wanted to ask? Yeah, I was uh, I was gonna say like, um, uh, is it being too selfish of me thinking because I am either in my um, uh, car listening to a DVD of psychology, or I am listening to the radio to your father's or your program, mm-hmm. and I'm just listening. I'm not uh, participating. I'm not answering. I'm not, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I wouldn't so call that selfish. Yeah. I wouldn't consider that selfish. I will say one thing I've noticed, and I can't say this is the case for you, but since you brought this up, uh, and I mentioned this on the show before, sometimes people can get almost addicted to psychology and self-help books but they like to just read the books and keep it intellectual but not actually apply it to their own life and look at themselves so again i'm not saying this is what you're doing but i've seen people that they read all the books and they'll they'll like the ideas and feel very good about learning about the ideas but then when it comes to the hard work of applying it to their life and trying to make a change there's a huge block there and they resist that so i don't know if you can relate to that if you can think about that, but I think it's something important to keep in mind that when we read these books, it's not just supposed to be stopping at the intellectual place. It's supposed to go deeper emotionally and even possibly into our behavior and actions. It should have some effect. And that's where the real hard part comes. Reading the book is not hard. Applying it to our life is the difficult part. Exactly. 
exactly because you know when it comes to exercise part of it mm -hmm. we usually skip it that's right or we usually that's just right. think two minutes about it and then it gets difficult mm -hmm. or it touches a very um, hardcore or something that we don't want to even discuss it to ourselves and then we just go to the next chapter that's right yeah most but people do that even have a session like yeah get together you force us to <laughs> to do that you understand so, okay everybody has 10 minutes and come up with your answer. And then we're going to talk about really it. Yeah. That, no, I think Dr. that's a good point. It's a very good point. And I think even I know I've done that before. You know, sometimes we think that the chapters are the, the book and then the exercises are kind of just like, oh, it's just extra or waste of time. Where very often it's almost in some ways the opposite. I think you were mentioning the book. I'm not sure. But um, Why Do I Do That by Joseph yes, Burgo. Yes, and I'm he, that, yeah. yeah, and he, I think I really like that in that book, he mentions that sometimes actually the exercises might make you want to not do them because you have a block there or that's your sensitive point. And that actually means you even should spend more time on that and not avoid those things because we very often avoid our sensitivities, our insecurities or whatever it might be. So I, I definitely agree with you that those exercises in the books also, um, I've done a few books on marriage and relationships and very often they have exercises that can be very helpful if couples do them together and see what they learn Absolutely about each other. Better. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. That's a good and point. One little point, too, that I'm concerned is that I do ask a lot of questions. I know that myself. But then when I ask in a conferences, like for one your father has, everybody's looking at you, like <laughs> rolling their eyes. And, what are you talking? What are you asking? I want to feel okay in a, in a place that, yeah. you know, we can discuss things. Not I'm always the listener or I'm always the talker. Well, I mean, I guess I don't know what else there is. I mean, there's listening and talking. Of course, you can be observing. But I would say, you know, two things. One is if you're at a conference and if we're listening to people ask questions, I think we want to do our best both as whoever when we're running it, but also just as participants to let people feel comfortable to ask their questions. We might not agree with it. We might not like it. That's that's fine. But then I would also ask you, since I'm talking to you, to think yeah. about not necessarily that people are right to roll their eyes at you or judge you, but is there something in how you're asking the questions or the questions you ask that might rub people the wrong way? You still oh, might yeah. decide to ask the same questions and do the same thing, but exactly. it's up to you to think about, okay, is there something about what I'm saying or how I'm saying it that people don't like that I can learn from? Um, but, you know, that that's something I can't really I tell you. I know that, and I'm trying to work on it, but <laughs> that is my issue. But thank you very much for considering it, and I'll wait for the announcement. Sure, yeah. When and where, and I participate, and thanks a lot for your time, Doctor. I appreciate you calling in the idea. Yeah, definitely something I've considered myself, but you're giving me more uh, motivation to think about it more seriously. So thank you for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's go into our last commercial break for the show. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, hi. Hi, thanks for calling. 
Thank you. Uh, I just want to thank you for your amazing uh, program first. Oh, thank and, you. And uh, uh, I'm going to start with my uh, my background really okay, quick sure. first. And uh, so uh, I'm 40, about 41 years old, and uh, I have a engineering software engineering background, and uh, I've got my master's degree in engineering management from CSUN. Uh, and then I've been working uh, in this field for past like 10, 15 years in computer uh, database and stuff like that. So uh, the problem um, having recently is the job security that I have right now, and it's uh, all been always unstable as far as the job, because the reality is uh, I've been competing with. Uh, People working from India, as you probably know, this type of job has been outsourced mm -hmm. recently a lot. So the number of people who are on the site in the U.S. are getting uh, less and less and less, and they keep outsourcing this type of job to India because of the cost and all other stuff that been uh, going to be much less costly than if you wanted to hire someone in the U.S. So. Uh, the, so my comp competition competitions are people from like very young ages that they are very smart, they are very fast, and uh, I'm getting to the point that this is a reality that it's not easy for me to compete with these people anymore. And I feel like either I'm not that good in in what I'm doing right now, or they are getting way better than me as they're, again, they're way younger than me, they're very faster than me. So uh, within the past few years, three, four years, I've been struggling with uh, companies that I work for. I kept getting uh, laid off from companies that I recently working uh, been working for. So I got to the point that uh, been thinking about maybe changing my major, choosing another other other uh, major or thing. So uh, another thing I was going to mention that I my master degree. I mean, first of all, I'm going to apologize for who who went to CSUN or attended to CSUN, but uh, getting master degree from CSUN didn't help me a lot with uh, getting a job because it's not a high rank. Uh, school. So I've been thinking about going back to school, going maybe to another better school, getting my MBA or something like that. That's been for the past few years I've been thinking about it till uh, my wife uh, decided to go back to school. She she's a, she used to work as an, as an accountant. So she decided to go back to school and attend to the dentist, then uh, dental hygiene school. So she just graduated from the dental hygiene school uh, from USC, and she just uh, like literally like uh, uh, hello. Yes, I can hear you fine. Oh, okay. So she decided to go to school, and she just graduated from dental dental hygiene school. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, recently, uh, I would say within the within the past, I would say two three years that she 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 was in, involving with the school with the dental dental hygiene school. We've been 
uh, kind of like hanging out with a lot of dentists and a lot of dentists and a lot of friends of us that are, we are hanging out recently within the past few years, they're all dentists. And we, they've been talking to me and telling me that. And also I have a friend of mine that they're coming from exact same background as me, almost the same age as me. They are all coming from like engineering background, even exactly my computer background. So they decided to go to school, to dental school, and they are so happy. I mean, they're all just either just graduated from school or they are going to school right now. They're so happy that they changed their major, they go back to school, they're going to dental school. So I've been thinking about it and it's been so hard for me to decide, should I go back to school, getting something like related to computer stuff or maybe MBA or changing the entire thing and uh, going to dental school. Okay. I, I already talked to uh, uh, USC dental, dental School, and I already found out about the prerequisite that I need to uh, take before I be able to, to attend to the school. So I have to have about a year of prerequisites, and honestly, I just started it already. I, I've taken a couple of the courses, prerequisites already, and I've been going towards that route, but I ha I'm not 100% sure if this is the right decision or not. Mm, and okay. uh, I wanted to add one more quick thing sure. is, uh, I don't have kids right now, and uh, I've, we've been thinking about it to have a kid. So mm -hmm. I don't know, at this situation, at the 40 years old of, uh, that I'm right now, 41 years old almost, going to school, it's going to take, with the prerequisite, it's going to take about almost five years of my life. Coming out of the school, I'll be like about 46, 47, mm -hmm. with about like 500K loan and yeah. not working with, for the next four or five years. Or one another option that has been going on, which is still up in the air, is uh, another job that I applied. It's a governmental job. It's in the uh, East Coast which uh, I've been in the process of hiring, but it's, it's a 50-50 chance to get in, in that, to, if, if I get uh, qualified for that job or not, it's again 50-50 chance. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what should I do, what, should I go back to school for dental school, if I, should I wait for the job that I already applied for, the governmental job, which is not gonna give me a best salary, it's gonna be average salary, or, so that's why I wanted to hear your opinion and sure. uh, help me out with this. Well, you know, the, uh, it's obviously very complicated. There's a lot of moving parts we're looking at here, and we have about 10 minutes, so there's a chance we won't get to the bottom of all of it. But um, first, looking at some of what you shared, you know, I don't know exactly how insecure your job is as far as what you're talking about, but that is a big issue. So you know, and you can talk to people in your field, is my career something sustainable or not? And also how much you're enjoying what you're doing, just based on how you are talking about quickly wanting to change. Maybe you're not really enjoying it much, but we have to make sure if you do leave, it's for the right reason. Sometimes people are just unhappy working or being in a job, and so they want to do something else, and they think it's going to be so easy when I do something else. But it's actually more about being just unhappy themselves or unhappy with the work that they're they they just being in the working environment. So they might think, oh, if I 
being a dentist, it's so fun. You just go in there and work with teeth. But of course, it's very hard work and stressful and painful too. So I'd want to make sure you're changing careers for the right reasons, not some type of a, you know, quote unquote, midlife crisis or some feeling that you're having. That So that for me is very important to really know, is my job something viable that I can continue or not? That's That's one big part. But then the other parts, it seems like, you're kind of a little bit all over the place because you're not sure what you want to do. And it's very important for you to get some focus as to what's the right, what direction you want to go in and then go in that direction. You know, becoming a dentist now, it's definitely possible. But like you said, you know, if you want to have kids, uh, one being in dental school and, and coming out of dental school, it's going to be a lot of very time consuming. So as a father, you're, you're not going to get to be as involved as you'd likely need to be and also there's the financial burden it's going to place on you and your wife and the family you guys want to build so that to me is is pretty concerning to start out of dental school at let's say 46 47 out of you know and then try to make that money back and then make money it's possible but if it's really something i would only say unless you really want to do dentistry do that but in the way you talked about it, it almost seemed like well other people started doing it it sounds cool or it sounds like a good thing to do, that to me is different than you having some kind of passion and desire to do it. So that that's something that I would keep in mind or something that concerned me about the way you talked about it was that I didn't feel this strong passion, that this is really what I always wanted to do. I just never did it, and now I want to give myself that opportunity. That's very different from you know, my wife is in uh, hygiene school and we've been around a lot of dentists and it just seems like what I want to do. That That's that that's my concern. Uh, and the other options you had, maybe it's something along the field you're already in. Maybe, you, you, you know, those are options too. But for me, it's really, you got to ask yourself the question of why do I want to change? Or why, for example, why dentistry? You know, in a deeper way, not just because other people sounds like it's good. For, let me ask you that question. Why do you think dentistry is something you would want to do? Um, honestly, the, the, uh, to answer to your previous question mm-hmm. is uh, about the job security or how good yeah. I am in this job. Uh, I uh, honestly, I really, I like what I'm doing right now. It's not something that I hated okay. it or I get bored at work or no. I really don't kill time when I'm working. For That's a that, good sign. I, I enjoy working in this field that I am right now. But the, the problem is the job security, again, because of the, uh, as I'm getting older, I, I feel like I'm, I cannot catch up with those uh, younger generation in this field, which is, uh, this is the reality. I don't mm-hmm. want to fool myself and say, no, I'm, I'm still, I'm great at this, but I mean, no, I'm not that great. Okay. I do feel that. So, okay. And I, I, I kind of get to the point that, I because I always work for another company or work for someone, I I got to the point that I wanted to choose another field that I can work for myself and be independent of uh, working for someone else mm-hmm. and so always like insecure and um, or scared of am I gonna get fired or am I gonna get laid off tomorrow or something like that. But at the same time, I'm really good at like uh, art and making stuff with my hands or painting or writing or calligraphy stuff like that i'm really good at it so i feel like i I, i'll I'll be really good like dentist that i can work with my hands or stuff like that that's what i feel like i'm 
I feel like I can see myself being a good dentist. Okay. I mean, so, I'm sure there's a lot of things you can be good at. Is it something you think you really want to do? The reason, uh, again, uh, I'm, I wanted to change my major is just because I, in this field that I've been working for the past 10, 15 years, as I go further, it's going to get harder and harder and harder for me. So at this point, I wanted to, be, before it gets too late mm-hmm. and I still have that chance to change my major, I, I'm thinking about to do it right now before it gets too late. And I can understand that, and you know, uh, one of the things that people in life and especially in business have a very hard time of doing is accepting change or accepting that, you know, maybe what they were doing isn't going to work anymore, and we have to try our best to anticipate it before it's too late. So again, I don't know enough about your field to tell you for sure you have no job security and it's not going to work for you. You know that better than me. And if that's the truth, then I would say, yes, you want to make a change before it's too late. But you do have to be aware, of course, you're having, you want to have a child soon and there's the, that commitment and requirement that it's going to ask from you. And then financially, how you and your wife are going to be able to support yourselves and a new baby. And maybe she won't be able to work as much for quite some time. So there would be no income, maybe if you're a student, you know, so there's those things to consider too. You know, if you were 20 and had nothing holding you back, it's a little bit different. So I don't want to say you can't make it to dental school and it can't work, but there are some pretty serious logistical issues that you have to face and be aware of that reality too and really think with your wife can we make this work um you know that's that's a question that i can't ask answer for you but i would want you to think some more even consider talking to someone more in depth about it whether it's in therapy or just exploring more what is it that you want to do and why and getting to that better understanding because what you're talking about is a pretty big change when you're talking about being in uh, computer type things and going into dentistry, that's a very big change of careers. I'm not saying it's not possible, but you have to be ready that that's not going to be easy. So what what do you think about like something like MBA from a good school? I mean, that can be great. I think, you know, it, it's not, for me, I don't look at careers as being like, this one's good, that one is bad. It definitely has to do with more with the individual. So you, mm-hmm. it, it's more to me, what would you want to do with that MBA and what do you see that it would give you? If you were to get it, yeah. And my last question would be: uh, Do you think uh, between the uh, this drastic change that I've been thinking about it and going back to school for like another five six years, going out of school with like five hundred thousand, almost five hundred thousand debt, <laughs> do you think is this a good decision if I choose this route or between like if if just I'm just saying, like it's 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 fifty fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. If I go, if I get that job today or tomorrow, I don't know when. If I get that job, which is going to be roughly about like I'm just assuming about like hundred k, starting from hundred k, and going to like starting with a governmental job, having a very stable job, mm-hmm. and having a and continue with that route. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, you know, that this is a uh, you know. There isn't a black and white about this. One is, as you said, more stable and more secure, but I don't know how happy you're going to be at that job. And also mm-hmm. the upside long term, as a, a dentist, likely you can make more you know, after exactly. a while. So I can't give you a clear cut of definitely take that more stable route, but I think you have to make this decision also with your wife and the future baby in mind and even talk to your wife about 
what makes sense and what is okay. I was talking about it earlier in the show that as a partner, one thing we have to be aware of is that we have to always keep our partner in mind and what they feel and think also is important. This is your career, so of course, ultimately, it's more about you, but you can't make the decision without thinking about her and about your future together at all, and that has to be taken into account. So I'm not saying dental school can't work for you, but you have to be ready that it's a big challenge, and also you have to ask your wife, is she up to that challenge too and willing to do that? But even before that, I'd want to make sure you're, you're making the right choice for yourself. We're at the end of the show and I wish we had more time to talk. But like I said, I hope you'll explore this more deeply, whether it's in therapy or on your own in some way to really get to the bottom of what you want to do and what makes the most sense. And don't forget your wife and your future together in making that decision. Thank you so much, Doctor. I really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate you calling. Wish you all the best. Take care. Thank you. Thank all right. You. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Rahman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.